If you'll take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of John, chapter 12. John, chapter 12, we saw last week that Jesus was a guest at a dinner party, that they invited Jesus for dinner, and that Lazarus, who had been dead, and Jesus had pulled out of the grave, commanded to rise from the dead, was at dinner with him. And this is a very small passage, one of the shortest passages I've ever preached here. I'm going to preach three verses to you. When we were in Romans, I preached five messages on one sentence. So I've never been, I've done it before, but this is a short passage. We're only going to look at at verses 9, 10, and 11. Um, And it's on Lazarus. Lazarus somehow has been, because Jesus pulled him from the dead, is somehow pulled to the forefront There's nothing that's attractive like someone who was dead that's now alive. And we're going to see that. So I entitled this after after from verse uh, 10, that they might also see Lazarus. That they might see Lazarus also. That they came looking for Jesus, but they wanted to see Lazarus too. And I just think that is very interesting. And so that's what I want to look at today. So let's read this. this. This is God's word. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there, and that he came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. And the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Isn't that interesting? (coughs) So, you think that anybody talked about the fact that Lazarus had been in the tomb and that everybody saw it, they knew that he was in the tomb, and that Jesus told him to come forth, and he pulls, they roll back the stone, and he walks out of the tomb. I think that it spread like wildfire. In fact, it was such a big event that Jesus immediately skedaddles. He pulls back and goes into like a a city way on the edge of nowhere so that uh, he's not in the middle of things, making, making things happen too fast. Um, but he pulls back and he goes, this is in verse 54 of the previous chapter 11, Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but thence went into a country near the wilderness into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. So if this was at the end um, in the spring, then... Um, in mid-spring would have been Easter. Easter this year is in March, very early. <clears throat> Has everything to do with the moon, the full moon. It's the first. Um, it's the the first full moon uh, um, after the equinox or after the the first day of spring. <clears throat> so we have that that Jesus um, is is coming back. In fact, Thomas even says. Uh, let's go to Jerusalem with him and die. They, he realized that the last time he was there, it was such a dangerous event that this might be the end of all of them as they go. But Jesus goes, and he goes to Bethany about a week before Passover. So we're now the week before Passover, and Jesus has a dinner invitation. And there's no way that he can hide it now. Everybody finds out. Everybody knows. Now, the end of John 11 ended with this. This is verse 57. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given the commandment 
that if any man knew where he was, he should show it that they might take him. <coughs> so, there's a price on Jesus' head, and everybody knows. But it's interesting because now they instantly find out where Jesus is. They find out that Jesus is in Bethany. And Bethany is only a mile and a half from downtown Jerusalem. It's, it's not even a suburb. It's right on the outskirts of town. It's that first village that you come to, and that's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. And the, the Jewish leaders didn't think it was going to be easy to find Jesus. They thought it was going to be hard. In fact, they needed to threaten people. Everybody had a threat that if anybody, anybody, anybody knows, then you have to tell me, okay? You have to inform, you have to look out the window and tell me when something's happening so that we can go and take him, so that we can arrest him. Um, but everybody knew where he was. So I asked myself a question. I just sat and asked myself a question. I don't know if, not all my questions have answers, but I sometimes share my questions with you. Because a question is, is a beautiful thing to start a meditation on. If you have a question, then as you're thinking about the answer and thinking about it, what you're really doing is asking God to reveal himself to you. That's what you're doing. You're thinking. And as you're thinking, it doesn't, you have to come into God's presence to, to know what's going on. But my question to myself is, how can you tell where Jesus is? If everybody knows, if the Jewish leaders thought that they needed to threaten people so that they could find out where he was, so they could take him, so they could arrest him, so they could kill him, you have multitudes. This is what it says in verse 9. Much people of the Jews therefore knew where he was, and they came to see him. So they all made a day trip to Bethany. Okay? I don't know how long it would take to walk a couple miles. Not a big deal. Okay? An hour, whatever. They all were like, let's go. And you, you know that there's a scat of people in town. They've already started coming. It said at the right at the end of 11. They've already started coming in for the Passover. Everybody wants the you know, the first hotel rooms, okay, because it's going to be really, really packed. So they want their good camping spot. So they all come in early. So there's like an early rush, and they're all there already. And so they don't have anything to do yet. Let's go to Bethany. We've heard this guy was dead, and now he's alive, and we can see him. You can knock on his door. He'll, he'll come to the door. Let's, let's go see. And Jesus is there, right? That, that's, that's pretty amazing. Jesus is there. Um, I, I pulled out this as I was meditating on that question. Where can you tell where Jesus is? How can you tell where Jesus is? This is where my mind went. This is John chapter 3, and he's talking to Nicodemus, and this is from verse 8. Jesus says, The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but can't tell where it comes and whither it goes. So is everyone that's born in the Spirit. So as I said, where do you know, how do you know where Jesus is? If people wanted to find Jesus really bad, but yet everybody knew, how do you know where he is? Well, it's the same way that he said anybody that's born of the Spirit, the wind blows where it wants to. And you can't tell where it's coming from and you can't tell where it's going because it's completely invisible. But yet you can see the effects. When the trees bend over and touch their toes, you know that the wind's coming from that way and going that way. I can't see the wind, but I can see the effects of the wind. So Jesus Christ is the king of this world. He's not absent at all. And he will come in, re in, in glory and return. And he's not going to come as an itinerant rabbi. And he's not going to be born in a barn. 
And yes, there will be angels that attend his coming, but it will not be only to some, some ragamuffin shepherds. It is going to be in glory, hallelujah, on a white horse. And when we see Jesus, we will see Jesus. You don't have to worry when everybody else is going to say, Oh, Jesus is coming. He's here. He's there. He's in the inside. He's outside. He goes, don't worry about it. You'll know. From one, as the lightning strikes across the sky and lights up from the east to the west, you will have no trouble knowing that Jesus has come in his glory. No one will be of any doubt. So don't fret. Don't worry. And don't follow all of the ninnies who are chasing their tails, going around saying this is this and that's that. Don't worry about it. But as of right now, Jesus, if you want to know where he is, you have to see the trees bending over. That You have to see it. And not every, every time that you look at a tree is it bending over. You, you have to say, is there something so obvious about that tree that I can tell which way the wind is blowing simply by looking at that tree? That is what we're talking about in this passage. That's kind of what I see as the, as the cushion around this passage. Lazarus somehow has become forefront. Lazarus is now stuck out like a sore thumb. And Lazarus, we don't ever see his voice. We don't hear his voice. He doesn't do anything except being raised from the dead. He, he's at dinner. He sits at dinner. So we see him sitting at the table and coming out of the tomb. And those are the only things we know about him. But everybody's talking about him such that they came to see Jesus and Lazarus. I think that's pretty interesting. Somehow, the effects of that tree is so pronounced that people can look and know which way the wind is blowing. Something has happened enough that people are interested, that it will catch your attention. So they came not only to see him, meaning Jesus, but they came to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So as I kept thinking, and my mind is very strange, my, like how I sew things together is not always the same as other people, but where I went next was Matthew 4. This is, this is, this is Jesus in a boat with Peter. And all, day, all night long they tried fishing, and Jesus said, why don't you put your nets on this side of the boat? And Peter, of course, laughs like, like, that doesn't work that way, Jesus. That's not how it works. The fish are on both sides of the boat. It's a boat. And, like, it doesn't matter which side the net is. There's no fish there because I tried and there isn't any. And so he does it. He humors Jesus. He puts it down. And immediately the boat starts sinking because there's so many fish. And Peter just sits back in the middle of a bunch of fish. I don't know if you've ever sat on fish. But he just sits back in the midst of a fish, and he says, go away. Go away from me. I, I'm filthy. I'm sinful. Please, please go away from me. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. You follow me. From now on, you're going to catch men. Now, as I sat there, I'm thinking, where's Jesus? How do you know where Jesus is? And then I thought, I wonder if Peter ever thought when Jesus said, don't worry about it, from now on you're going to catch men, that most of the time the people who are catching men are themselves the bait. I don't know if I've never even thought of that. I think that just kind of dawned on me as I just thought about it. I was like, Peter, you're the bait. People have to see you touching your toes or they're not going to know which way the wind is blowing. And just because you say you're religious, please, that doesn't mean anything. And just because you're nice Nice doesn't mean anything because 
other people can, other, other tares can look like wheat. Something has to be enough pronounced that it's such a dazzling difference that people will look for Jesus because they're looking for you. And so my next question was, how is a person attractive for the Lord? How does that work? Because I know what attractive means. And attractive, attract, you know, some people are attractive and others of us ain't. It just works that way. You know, you know in kindergarten who the homecoming queen's going to be. I'm sorry. I knew. I knew. And I was right. You know who's the valedictorian in grade school. You know who it is. You know the ones who figure it out. You're, you know who the ones who are scrappy. You know who the leaders are that will be the leaders of, of, of good people. And you know who the leaders of the bad people. You know who the people who will lead people to destruction are. And you know who the people who will lead people. I, the, it's established. So, so when I think, who is it that's attractive for the Lord? Is it the homecoming queen that's attractive for the Lord? Is it? Is it the, is it the valedictorian? Is it the, is it the audiovisual club? No. Is it the captain of the football team? No, it doesn't work that way. It's not that same. Is it the nice person? No, it is not. It's not the nice guy. It's not the nice guy that, that will be used in God's hand. It is the person that has, that has Christ-likeness. And that can't be faked. You can't fake Christ-likeness. Now, you can fake people who don't know the God. At New Life, I was appalled once because the Buddhist exchange student became Miss Christmas, which is supposed to be, which, has, which qualities of Christianity do these people display more than other people? Who among us are showing the most Christian attitude? And the Buddhist girl won. And I'm like, okay, nobody even knows what to do. How, that doesn't work this way. The Buddhist lady doesn't know God at all, and she, but she's nice. And so people think, well, Christianity means you be nice to people. It's be nice. That's not how it works. Jacob was a Christian. He was a scoundrel. There is something deeper about it. The attractivity, the magnetism, isn't from the shape of the magnet. It's not from the look of the magnet. It's not the design of the magnet. The magnetism is either in the magnet or not in the magnet. And a person attractive for the Lord, who's attracting people to the Lord as bait, as fish bait, is, has something that other people don't have. And that is that they have a likeness to Christ that only is the result of spending time with Jesus. There isn't anything else that you can do there is something unmistakable about it. You know whom of your acquaintance truly know the Lord and who don't. You know who has wonderful peace. You know it. You know if you have wonderful peace, if you can testify in true honesty, peace sweeps over my spirit forever. Though everything in my life is crazy, there's something I can't explain that just that just makes me want to rest, even though everything is upside down. And I know when I see it with someone else, I know it. There's some unmistakable quality that makes me want to be with them, makes me want to be, I want to be their friend. I want to sit with them, I want to go with them. And it is not great talent that God uses. This is a quote from my hero, 
Robert Merrick Machane was a, was a pastor who died at 29. And I read his autobiography, basically his diary. I read his diary. Changed my life. This man loved God and somehow in his weakness, everything he touched, um, God used. But anytime he was there, God didn't use it. So, for instance, he would preach, nothing would happen. He would get sick and be in bed for two weeks, and 40 people would come to the Lord during that week that he was in bed. And then he started realizing, it's only when I am in sick that God is working in our church. Now, I think that is amazing. When I'm powerful and dignified and up here in my robes, nothing's happening. But when I'm sick and coughing up my guts and, and have to go to the bathroom... And no, and and just embarrassing and low and 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 to the floor, God is working because it's not great talent that Jesus blesses; it's great likeness to Jesus, and great likeness to Jesus can't be faked by fakes, can't be faked by fakes. There is a mark on every Christian, on their forehead, when when. When God says to the destroying angel, you put a mark on everyone that's mine. And then you start at the temple and you start destroying from one end of this world to the other. Don't touch anyone that has the mark. There is marks. I want the mark that the Lord God puts on me. And that mark is Jesus' character that cannot be approximated by my fraudulence. Can't be a pro- Can't fake it. I can't make you think something is true when it's not true. That magnet can look like any old rock, but if it pulls staples to it, it's a magnet. And that's what a Christian is. And Lazarus somehow was forced into the limelight, though he probably didn't want to be, because something was absolutely true. He had been brought to life by Jesus. That's the only thing he did. I said, right, my second question was, what did Lazarus do except being raised from the dead? He was alive instead of being dead. And that was enough. It was enough because people know what dead means and people know what living means and people can tell the difference between someone living and someone dead. And you can look at Lazarus and say, he's not dead. I'm sure of it. I'm sure he's not dead because look at him. He's walking around. He can talk to me. He shook my hand. He's not dead. There's something different. Wow. And so when you think about it, there's an attractivity to Lazarus, but it instantly stops. As soon as you come to Lazarus, There isn't anything else there. When you as a Christian work in this world simply by living in this world, okay, we don't put notches on our Bible. It doesn't work that way. You simply live in this world. You do whatever you do. You get up and you go to work. You go home and kiss your wife and eat some supper. And I mean, that's just your normal. That's what happens in your normal. And in your normal, God takes that and does something with it and then never tells you. You're in bed with the with a high fever, and people are coming to the Lord when you are gone. That's what happens because God is not going to make you think it was you. He doesn't want you to be Pharaoh who thinks he made the Nile. The prophets were like Pharaoh. Let me tell you, you didn't make the Nile. Sorry, Pharaoh. You think you made the Nile? You didn't make the Nile. You're nothing but a guy. You're just a guy in a hat. But. When you realize that it's God that's doing everything, a person, a person often has to be made low, and God will not tell you what, you what he's doing with you. He will not tell you. So just get over it. 
live your life towards God with more and more of Jesus' integrity coming out of you as you spend time looking from glory and to glory and to glory, and as you change into the likeness of Jesus Christ, which is God's will for every saved person, something will happen that is unmistakable and that you will not know about until glory. And that's what's happening. Lazarus just was a guy. So people came to see Lazarus and then didn't know what they were looking for. It wasn't like, oh, Lazarus is so smart, or Lazarus is so wonderful, or he's so funny. Oh, my goodness. Lazarus, Lazarus, it's not. You come to see Lazarus because he's alive, and then ultimately anybody that's attractive for the Lord is not attractive in themselves. They're attractive to go to the Lord because suddenly now it's not the resurrected that's the big star of the show. It's the resurrector. Jesus did this. Jesus shouted my name, and I walked out of the tomb. There's nothing more to be said than that. And people are like, Jesus did that? Now, that's, that's pretty amazing because the resurrection of Lazarus is only a picture of the real resurrection. It's just a picture. The real resurrection isn't the resurrection of the, of the, of the dead. Though in, in, we've already seen in, in John chapter 5, Jesus says, um, there will be a time and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and come out of their graves. Now, that's interesting. Back in John 5, who did he heal? Who did he say, come out of your grave, and they came out of your graves? Now, Lazarus is that picture, but he's talking about real resurrection. He, there was a day that Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, just said, Brian, and I woke up. I, I don't know why. It wasn't because I did anything. It wasn't because I wanted it. It wasn't because I was gooder than anybody else. I just, I just woke up because God is powerful. God, God is powerful to do what God wants to do. And when he spoke, spoke your name, when he shouts into your tomb, you come out all tied in your grave clothes. And you act like a ninny and you act like everybody. And you, there's a lot of people that can't tell the difference between you and, and tears. They're like, I'm not sure. Is that a tear? I'm not sure. He looks like a tear. He acts like a tear most of the time. Do you realize there's nobody bad enough? You're not bad enough. You're simply looking to the Lord. The Lord will work in your heart. There's nobody that's a lost case. You don't go, oh, he's gone. I'm giving up on him. Doesn't work that way. Someone who, someone who has been raised from the dead is the hour now is. So this is this is the picture of real resurrection. This isn't the real resurrection. This is the picture of real re- resurrection. This is Ephesians chapter 2. You have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of this air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we also had our conversation in times past, by the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. Do you see that long list? That's, that's living like a tear. That's all the bad things that come out of my mouth. That's my exasperation. That's my prejudice. That's my, that's my I've decided already what something's going to be. I, I, that's my limitations of my sinful nature that's coming out. But, but God, who is rich in mercy, and for his great love with where he loved us, even when we're dead in our sins, has quickened us together by Christ. By grace, you're saved. That's resurrection. 
That's what resurrection is. And Lazarus' resurrection was just a picture of that. Now, if I've truly come out of my grave, will people come to see me? That, I think, is the question in the back of my head. I didn't even write it down. It was too obvious of a question. Is there something about you that is fish bait? Is there something that will be so enticing that as people come to investigate you, that bush is burning, but it's not being consumed? What's going on? Something is going on. That bush should be burned up by now, and it's not. Let me go see. And as they come closer into your life and they see you, what ends up happening is they get caught by the real fishermen. You're the fisher of men because you're bait that God is using. So Jesus is the one who's doing it all. That's, that's the interesting. So what kind of bait attracts fish who are still walking according the, to the course of this world? What kind of bait? It has to be something real. So this is Colossians 3. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall appear with him in glory. That means when Christ is my life, that's, the, that's that obvious thing. That's, that's the burning bush, that there's something in it that's fire but not being consumed, that God is in me, and there's something unmistakable about it that is attractive to the people God's working in. Everybody else, you're not going to see somebody as being special. There's no halo on the saints of God. Despite all of the museums in the world saying that that's wrong, there's no, there's no little orb of glory around a simple saint. You're a pile of dust that has eternity inside you, like a clay pot with a vast treasure on the inside. That's what, that's what Paul said. You are like a treasure in a clay pot. There's nothing about the pot that makes it look awesome except that God has given you eternity inside of you that you have the life of Christ in you. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, not yet I, but Christ lives in me. Christ is living in you. That's what's attractive to people. To the people God is working in, to the people that God is preparing, to the people with eyes to see and ears to hear, you will stick out like a sore thumb to them among a people that's better than you. Put you in a pile of people of much better, better than you and nicer than you and smiler than you, and you will be the one that's attracted. You will be. But when your life is dirty, when you are not being used of God because you have, have basically said, I'm playing a game here, God will let you be in the middle of the show and nothing happen. Nothing will stick to you. Nothing will grow around you. No one will come to the Lord around you. You are sitting there in timeout. Because God uses his son's likeness in you to attract others. That's what happens. And somehow Lazarus was in the middle of this, whether he wanted to or not. He was attracting them. That's pretty cool. Second thing. So Lazarus was alive. The second thing I wrote down, he was with Jesus. That's what it was. He was with Jesus. So they went to see Jesus and Lazarus was there. Or if they went to go see Lazarus, Jesus was there. You can't do it. If you are with God, if God is in you, and they encounter you, they're encountering Jesus Christ in you. That means that they can't encounter you without the change that Jesus is making in you. That's effective in the world. That's God working in the world. Tell me, he spoke the whole universe into existence with a word. 
and then uses your whole life of bumbling to do miracles that will never be explained. Miracles. Why? Because you're good? No, you're missing the point. It's because Jesus is living in you and Jesus is that magnetic force that's pulling people that he's working in. And as you say something, even anything to them, something will happen. You can say the most sideward glancing comment and it will pierce someone right to the soul. You don't have to bully anybody or beat up anybody. You don't have to smack people with a black Bible. And it doesn't have to be black. All right? It's that idea, if Jesus is in you, then the work of Jesus is being done in this world. And that's how he chooses to do it. Don't know why that we're the body of Christ. I don't know why that we're the hands and feet of Jesus. I don't understand that. Could he have picked better? Yeah. But it was his choice. He chose us. We're beloved and chosen. And he chose us. Why? Because we're good? Because we add value to him? No. Because he can get done anything with anything. He can do anything with anything, and he chooses to pick us. Wow. That's wow. People who spend time with Jesus become like Jesus. Look at these three verses. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of Christ. As you are looking into real Jesus, as you're looking, not just checking your Bible reading off with a check mark, but you're looking saying, God, I want you. My heart is thirsting you like a, like, a, like a deer panting for water. That's what I want. I want to go to the house of the Lord. I want to be with my God. You will not be one that, that is, who cares, whatever, it doesn't matter. You, you will pant to come close to God. That's what will happen. When you are like that, you will become like him. As you look into his face, you will change from glory into glory into glory, more and more like the person of Christ. That His person with your personality. This is Romans chapter 12. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect. Your mind needs to be transformed. You look into the Bible. You look into the very God who is working in you as you're reading. It is not, it's not education. It's not education and it's not brainwashing. God is reforming you as you're looking to him. And you look to him the way he gives it to us through the scriptures. You look to him in prayer. You look to him in reading. It's the Bible is our life. It's not just something to be ignored. It's not a social thing. It is not a, is I'm a Christian because something, something. It is, I love God and I want God and I want God. And the only way that I can find God is to sit at his feet in his word. You can't ignore it. Can't be ignored. Your life is stale. It can't be ignored. It has to be part of us. This is Ephesians 4. That you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed by the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which Christ created in righteousness. It's easy. You put on the new man. That means you live the way God would have you live. And as you do that, God is giving you the power to do it and the want to's to do it. As you yawn and it's no big deal, you will live as a sinner, as a sinner, as a sinner, and you'll never get better. You'll be 25 years with no, nothing to show for it. 
with nothing, no, just wood, hay, and stubble that will all burn up. Nothing will be built. You'll have not built anything. You'll come before God with nothing to offer him. That, that's, the, that's the sad part. It's a matter of, do you want God? Then God will use you. Do you not want God? Then God will not use you. Does that mean that you're not saved? Be careful. Be careful. I, I mean, it's that idea that there should be a hunger, there should be a desire, there should be something wanting that makes you go, and then other people will go with you. You can't tell people to do as you say and not as you do. The closer you get to Jesus, the more of Jesus shows up in you. Here's the backwards. The Bible often gives you the, fr the front words and then gives you the backwards. This is the backwards. This is 1 John 2. He that saith he abideth in him ought to himself also walk, even as he walked. Do you see it? So a person who is seeking God changes into his image. A person who is saying he seeks God should look like Jesus. Okay? You can't say it because it's not, the, the, the gospel is not about words. It's about power. It's about power. Something has to show. This is 2 Timothy 2. Nevertheless, the foundations of God stand the sure, having the seal that the Lord knows them that are his. And let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Do not live dirty if you're claiming to be, belong to the Lord. There is a holiness required, a holiness that comes out. But I can't simply reform myself and say, I'm only going to do good things. I'm never going to do bad things. It's not about that. As I seek God, everything changes. As I want him, everything changes. As I try to clean up my life, nothing but frustration happens. Because that's simply a person with a different God. It's still some other God. It's not God that's God. It's you being good that's the God. I want to be good so that everyone will like me. It has nothing to do with that. It's just a different God. That's a different idol. And God will, it will dry up at the roots. You can't reform yourself by doing good things. You simply love God, and as you follow God, you will change into his image, and that happens. You'll be attractive and used by other people. Second thing I said was Lazarus was a threat to those who hated Jesus. So not only was he alive, which was in your face, he was a threat. So back, this is now verse 10. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So now Lazarus, he was a political threat. Okay, Remember, the Romans are going to come and take our place. Okay, and in our nation, that, that's political. That's a, that's a big price. That's a big price that they had to pay. And then it, it's a theological threat, and I think this is pretty interesting. Now, I had to, somebody else had to teach me this. This wasn't, this wasn't me figuring out anything. It occurred to me, as I, as I read and studied, that it's the chief priests only that came here. There's no, no, there's no other case like this. All the other times where chief priests are mentioned, it's chief priests and scribes, chief priests and Pharisees, that they're doing something or trying to trick him or something. But this is only the chief priests came. The chief priests were not Pharisees. The chief priests were Sadducees. And Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees were the wealthy. They were the aristocrats. And they were the ones that Rome were okay putting in charge because they had something to lose. These people were the rich. These were the noble-born. These were the snooties. And if they lost their position it would really mean something to them. 
So they were put as most of the, of the years of the Roman occupation, the chief priests were occupied by Sa the, the, the Sadducees. They were, they were the ones who wanted things to stay status quo. So they had a lot to, lot to lose because they were confronted with a man who had been raised from the dead. This man had been dead. And they preached that there was none raised from the dead. That's a big deal. This is Matthew 22. The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother should marry his wife and raise up his seed. Do you remember this passage? It goes on, and all seven, all seven brothers didn't have a child, so the next brother has to marry the one to make up the child of the previous one, and, you know, ridiculous kind of thing. Whose wife is she in the resurrection? <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Because is she going to be everybody's wife? And Jesus said, you first of all don't know about God and you don't know about the scriptures. Okay? Because then he goes on to talk about, about marriage in heaven, whatever. But it's the idea that there's no resurrection and they're basically trapping him because they know that Jesus believes in resurrection. Now, does it matter that I don't believe in resurrection if Jesus believes in resurrection? <laughs> I just think that's pretty funny. So here's the chief priests with their power and their influence and here is a guy who used to be dead. That's a big deal. So what do they do? They said, oh, we're needing to add a list. We already had a name. Remember Caiaphas said, it's expedient that one die for the nation. So Jesus was on the top of the list. Now the list has two people on it. Oh, it's Jesus. We have to kill Jesus and we have to kill Lazarus. Now, as I thought about that, I thought, wow. So... So I clicked into the computer. I said, when was, when was the first Christian persecution under the Romans? And the answer comes back. 64 AD was Nero's. There was a fire in Rome. And Nero most likely did it. The historians are almost consensus that Nero was trying to get something done. He, he, he wanted a project built, so he needed some people out of the way. So he set a fire. And then he blamed the Christians. And there was a serious Christian persecution. I mean, this is the ones, this is the, the arena where they were sent to lions. They were burned on crosses all throughout the night to, so that there would be fire in the city streets. I mean, it was as horrible as you could imagine it would be. And um, that was 30 years from this day. One generation. One generation when the list has to get longer. When Jesus was at the top of the list and suddenly now Lazarus needs to be on the list... Now there's tens of thousands of people that have to be on the list because we need to stop this. We need to get it done. We need, he is evidence that this man raises people from the dead, which I don't like and don't believe in. So we have to get rid of him and the fact. Now, to me, it makes, it makes absolutely no sense. Could you not choose him as your leader? He's a king who could raise people from the dead. He could raise people from the Is there any other king in the world that could raise people from the dead? Uh, all right, my king, do you, do you have a king? Oh, really, a real king? My king can raise people from the dead. But they were like, they were like, no, we can't do that. We need to kill the guy who was raised from the dead. Now tell me, this man was raised from the dead. We need to kill him. That's a war against God. It's a war against God. And that's what's happened. They declared war on God. This is John 15. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. 
If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but because I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So my last point is that Lazarus was a blessing. He wasn't just alive, and he wasn't just a threat. He was a blessing. Many believed on uh, on Jesus because of Lazarus. Now that's interesting. Did Lazarus know? Did Lazarus meet all the people who had trusted Jesus because of Lazarus? Not at all. Not at all. Lazarus didn't, like, it wasn't a reception where Lazarus is shaking everybody's hand. Oh, thank you. I, I just, uh, I'm a child of God now and have eternity to thank you for. Thank you for being an, a, an effective witness. Lazarus didn't know any of this. It's just that people started trusting God because of their watching Lazarus. That's what it was. It's nothing to pat Lazarus on the head for. Lazarus just was not dead anymore. That was all he was doing, was not being dead. And as he was not being dead, people were like, What? Now look, look back at verse 10 and 11. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus to death because that by reason of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews went away. Do you see it? They didn't just believe on Jesus. They, deport, they, uh, they, they, they went away. They, they got out of there. They left the apostate religion of the Jews And they went to Jesus, put real faith in Jesus. They made a specific conscious decision to remove themselves from here and go here. And why? Because Lazarus is alive. That's all it was. They looked at Lazarus and that was enough. And I think that is absolutely wonderful. They deserted false religion and went to Christ simply by watching someone be alive. May that be true of us. Brothers and sisters, may that be true of us. Amen.